0: Well, it's, uh, it's great to see you all today. I mean, we've just been saying it like every week, but it's every week. People keep coming back from all this stuff. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest, we are so pleased and that you're here. You're welcome. Anything we have going on, I am the pastor. My name's David, and if, uh, if I can help you anyway, let me know. And you're probably better off going to find one of the other guys. They probably know more than I know, but I'll do what I can. Probably just send you one of the other guys. But we're, we're glad that you're here. You know, one of the things I've really learned in life is I, as I get a little bit older, a little bit older, that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the Christian faith, people just make stuff up, man. They, just, they make stuff up all the time. I find myself constantly having to say, they just made that up. People ask me a question. I'll say, I don't know, they just made that up. You hear it, you hear it. You know, for people who aren't followers of Jesus, trying to discredit Jesus, one of the things you hear a lot. You know, Jesus was actually married, and the early church hid that, and he married Mary Magdalene. That's big by Dan Brown and, uh, you know, the, the Da Vinci Code and all that stuff. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's nothing, you don't even... Hear about Jesus being married till the 2nd century Gnostic writings. The early church never heard of it. People just made that up. And we believe it. Do it in the church all the time. You know, if you're going to be saved, they add stuff. You've got to be baptized. Or you've got to be a part of a certain church. We just make stuff up. And the reason we make stuff up is because, you know, we want God. We know we need Jesus in there. But we want to do things our way. And so we just take what we want. We take some stuff about Jesus. We put it together and we just make it up. And do things our own way. I tell you this because we're going to come to a message today when David had an opportunity, King David, to just do things his own way and make it up. We're in a series entitled The Man After God's Own Heart. It's about King David. And, and you know, we, we saw right off the bat, we went to the story of David and Goliath. And we saw that David, in chapter 17 of First Samuel, David... He was a man who wanted to honor God above all else. He did it with faith. And then last week, you know, we went back to chapter 16 to David, the start of it all, and we saw that David, you know, the reason God rejected Saul and came David, it was because David would obey God. A man after God's own heart's going to obey God. That's what he's going to do. But David had an opportunity along his journey to be the king. He had an opportunity to do something, to accomplish what was really God's will, but he had a chance to do it his own way. And one of the things that David never did is he just, when it came to God, when it came to God and following God, he didn't do it his way, he did it God's way. And so we're going to mean a message today from 1 Samuel chapter 24 entitled, Trusting God's Way, because that's what David did. And in trusting God's way... Well, here's what we see. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way and where there was a cave. And Saul went in there to relieve himself. And David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses. Of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And then David arose and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And so he said to his men, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. So here's the thing: I want you to see in the message today, and it's really simple. If we are to honor God, we must do it His way. David, man after God's own heart, sought to honor God, and all he did. If we are to honor God, we must do it God's way. And so I want to begin this message today, and I'm going to share this first thing with you, and it's simply this. You don't mess with the Lord's anointed. You don't ever want to mess with the Lord's anointed. Being from Texas, and I realized if you're not from Texas, you really can't stand people from Texas talking about constantly being from Texas. And we tend to be an arrogant lot, and I get it. There's good reason. That's why we're arrogant. And there's this saying that they have called, don't mess with Texas. And people hate outside. hate that saying. I messed with Texas. What are you going to do about it? You come down to Texas, we'll shoot you. That's what we'll do about it right there. Send you home. But the thing about it is, and people, people think, they don't even know how this saying came about. They think maybe it came from the Alamo. You know, after the Alamo and that big battle and they were all killed, that, you know, Sam Houston, San Jacinto said, remember the Alamo and don't mess with Texas. You know, they didn't do it that way. In the mid-80s, the Texas Highway Department were tired of people littering so much, throwing trash and Messing up Texas. <laughs> and they came up with an ad campaign that says, don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Texas just means don't throw your paper stuff outside your window when you're driving by. That's all it means. But it's catchy. We like that. Yeah, don't mess around. Don't mess with things. Well, if we don't want to mess with something, you can mess with Texas all you want. I really don't care. It's a big state. You got a lot of people. We don't care. You know, I say we because once you're from Texas, you're always from Texas, even though I live here. But here's the thing. You really don't want to mess with the Lord's anointing. That's, that's what you don't want to do. When you come, after the story of Goliath, David now, I mean, I mean, David killed Goliath. He's been anointed as the future king. You realize there's two anointed kings in Israel? There's two. There's Saul and David. God had both of them anointed. Samuel went and anointed both of them. One is the current king. One's the future king. And this story from chapter 18 on until the end of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, it's a fascinating story. Because you have this conflict between these two guys. Really, David's not in conflict with Saul. Saul's in conflict with David. And the thing about it is, David's a part of Saul's family and life. David ends up in chapter 18. He becomes this great warrior, this great general. On behalf of Saul's armies, has all these victories. His best friend, Jonathan, is Saul's number one son. If Saul was going to have someone inherit the kingdom, it'd be Jonathan. And Jonathan knows by now. They all know. The kingdom's been taken from Saul. Jonathan knows he's not going to be it. And everybody knows it's David. Whether they know he's going to be, it was anointed already. That's beside the point. didn't tell us. They just, it's going to be David. Everybody's aware. Saul knows it. Jonathan knows it. On top of that, David marries one of Saul's daughters, Michelle. And, and the dowry, I can't even, there's no children. I, mean, I can't even tell you what the dowry was. He was supposed to kill 100 Philistines. And he went and killed 200. And I'll just leave it there and you go read that part that he had to bring Saul to show his loyalty. Because he had to circumcise 200 dead Philistines. What he had to do. I mean, he was Saul's family. He was connected. He was in a court. Saul hated him because of all this. And Saul decided to kill him. And David became an outlaw. David went on the run all by himself. And Saul was out to get David. And in the way, David began to collect a group of men because he had to leave the army behind and his guys... And he began to collect family members, and he collected outlaw types, and he collected ruffians and their families. And, you know, over a while, several hundred guys came to follow David. And this whole time, David would go, and the people. the people would be attracted to David during this whole time. The, Dave, the people are loving David. He's protecting them. He's fighting battles for them. When they get plundered, he goes against their stuff. And he's distinguishing himself. He's separating himself from Saul. I mean, David is becoming the guy, and Saul goes after him. In chapter 23, Saul, he takes him in, and he's got David cornered. Basically, it's kind of like if you were to go to the Oregon Mountains over here. Saul, I mean, David's on this side, Saul's on the other side, Saul's about to come around and get David. David's got nowhere to go. I mean, you've got to have supplies, you've got to have food, you've got to have full water, there's nowhere to go. But something happens, and there's a battle with the Philistines going on, and Saul's got to take his guys. And that brings us to the 24th chapter. And in verse 1, we're told in the 24, and by the way, this event in chapter 24 inspired two of the Psalms that David wrote Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. You don't need to go look it up and fact check me. Don't do that. Don't fact check the pastor while he's preaching. Trust me. You can fact check me later. I'll still be right. You can send me an email saying, Sorry, I didn't trust you on that one, David. So he wrote two Psalms, but he comes, and it says, David's in the wilderness of Engedi. He's out just west of the Dead Sea, man. And it's just rough. Tough area. Caves everywhere. Saul finds out Saul heads over that way. And David's by the area. It's called the Rocks of the Wild Goats. How would you like to live and be in a place called the Rocks of the Wild Goats? Man, it's detail. And and, and there's sheep there also, wild goats. So people are shepherding. And and at night they take their sheep into the sheepfolds connected to the caves. And David's men are hiding in one of those caves. It's in a a recess. It's way in the back of one. And we don't know if that means all those guys. We had a bunch of guys It may be some of his guys had already kind of headed back home, kind of to to spread out a little bit. And maybe somewhere in some other caves, but Saul went in that cave. And as Saul was in that cave, David's men, you know, they were hitting him. There's Saul. There's the guy. Saul's trying to kill all of them, by the way, not just David. All his men had a vested interest in Saul being dead because he was after all of them. He had 3,000. You know, he took his standing army. It was about 3,000 men. When they had big battles, they'd get more, but, you know, from the people. But he had about 3,000 coming after David. And they said, here's your chance to kill him. And here's what they actually said. They said, this is kind of like the Lord said, behold, I will give your enemy into your hands. Now, interesting, they were saying that that they had been told or David had been told that the Lord would do this, the Lord had said this. There's nowhere that it says the Lord said anything about this. For all we know, they just kind of made that up. But probably what was happening is back then they attributed everything to God. I mean God in essence did give it in their hands. And so they're they're attributing that somehow this is to fulfill something that God said. You got the chance to kill Saul. Now David would have killed Saul right then and there. He probably could have done it, got away with that. I mean he was the king elect or the king that was chosen by God. And he, he and the, the soldiers out there, they had followed David at one time. He could have killed Saul, lopped that head off just like he did Goliath. Pull that out there. The 3,000 guys who many of who probably loved David and were loyal to him would have said, You're the king. You're the guy. we will follow You could have been over. But that's not how God wanted it done. Because this is why David knew. David knew that Saul was the anointed of the Lord. In fact, he cut off something of the robe. And then it says his conscience felt bad. He felt, he felt guilty. The idea of the conscience is the idea of the inner self. That really is the heart. The ESV version, the English Standard Version, says that his heart was stricken. He felt guilty about it. Now, it may be that the cutting off of the robe uh, somehow signified, people think a transfer of power, uh, or it signified a rebellious spirit against David as rebelling. But it, it really what it did is just, it just cut off part of the king's stuff, and it was kind of like attacking the king. He cut off part of his robe. It was like attacking the king. He felt guilty. And his men's wanting to kill him, and he just cuts this off. And then verse 6 is so important. Here's what verse 6 says. Look at this. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord. Now that word Lord there, that's capitalized in the Hebrew. That's the word Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. The covenant name of the people. Go back to Exodus 3, the burning bush. And Moses says, Lord, but God, who should I say sent you? Sent me to them. You say Yahweh sent them. Yahweh sent you. Yahweh is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord is Lord. Go. And so it's the personal name, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord. That word Lord is lowercase. It's the word Adonai. It means master or boss, king. In the Greek, the word kurios kind of covers both those ideas. Mostly it's used of Jesus as Lord, he is God, but it can be used of one being a master. He said, he's the Lord's anointed. I can't stretch out my hand, the idea of hand is power. I can't stretch out my hand and in power strike him since he is the Lord's anointed. This brings us to the phrase, Lord's anointed. This is the key. David saw Saul as the anointed the word anointed means to be brought out to set apart anointed Uh, samuel had taken the oil and he anointed saul he had anointed david they were both anointed but david saying "He's, he's the king it's not my place to remove him i mean to be anointed is a special thing in fact you come to the new testament the one anointed now is jesus he's the anointed one remember last week i told you david was the king of kings until jesus came and Jesus was the anointed. To it. Sometimes we get confused, and I hear things sometimes in some places. You know, the preacher, the pastor, he is anointed by God. Well, I mean, yeah, not really. I got preachers on. We're on anointed guys, really. I mean, in the sense, we're all anointed. In First John chapter two, it says all of us are anointed. But nowhere does it ever say that guys in my position are anointed by God. I don't know where we get that idea. I'm one of you. We're, we're all. I mean, we're all gifted. We all are important. We all have tasks. I just have a different, in fact, here's the thing. I know a lot of preachers, trust me, ain't none anointed. and <laughs> They're a motley group you don't want to know, really. <laughs> and I, and there's not, listen, there's very few things I can do. I can't do, all music is great. I can't do that. I can't play. I can't fiddle with all these little things. I don't think they work. I think they're just there for show. Then <laughs> there's something right now that says 13 on it. I have no idea what that means. 13 minutes was probably how long that last song was. Who knows? I can't do the tech stuff. If I did the tech stuff, we'd all be outside because the lights wouldn't work. be no air conditioning, no, no uh, amplification stuff. I mean, we'd be in a megaphone. That's what we'd be doing. I can't do that. You don't want me teaching your kids. You talk about Vacation Bible School. And you may be saying, why is Vacation Bible School coming up in October? It's a long story. It involves the phrase coronavirus and the governor, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Don't need auditing by anybody. I know she doesn't run the IRS, but just in case. You know, something happens in November the other way. I don't want to lose that problem. You, know? you don't want me teaching the kids? You want me teaching kindergartners? Here's what the kindergarten comes back. Mommy, what's a knucklehead? <laughs> why, honey, why you ask? Because this pastor, when they told me to sit down and knock it off and I didn't do it, said I was a knucklehead to grow up to be a disappointment to my mama. What does that mean? <laughs> You do not want me teaching your children. I have a very, listen, I have a very limited set of things I can do. It's just to have me very specialized. And this is what I'm doing. It's like the only thing I can do. You don't want me to do anything else. We're not anointed. The anointing is a supremely special position. In the Old Testament, it was the king. And the king was God's way of accomplishing his will. And listen, this is so important. To David, to David, Saul was God's way of accomplishing his will. A man or woman who honors God never, never opposes how God chooses to accomplish his will. You think David was going to oppose Saul? Not in your life, man. Saul was the king. God put him there. And just because he was right in front of David, God didn't tell him to go kill Saul. God had to do things his way. So David, it says, persuaded his men. They agreed. Now, they had a vested interest. Saul wanted to kill them too. And so David persuaded his men not to kill Saul. Now when it's over, Saul went outside. Verse 8, David followed him on out. And when he got away, he said, Saul, Saul turned around and he knelt down and he knelt down and he said, hey, prostrate himself. You're the the king. You're the Lord's anointed. Why are you pursuing me? I I'm not out to get you. I'm not fighting you. In fact, between chapter 24 and chapter 26 and chapter 26 is an incident similar to this. Seven times. David says, Saul, you're the Lord's anointed. You're the anointed of the Lord. It is you. I'm not out to get you. You're out to get me, and God will one day judge between us. He said, One day God will take care of this on my behalf, and I'm not going to do this. Here's why you don't mess with the way God is honored. Saul was the way to David that God is honored, he was the king. You don't mess with the way God is honored. God's will matters. But so does the way God accomplishes his will. You see, God not only has a will, he has a way to get it accomplished. And That's how we honor God. So that brings me to the second thing I want to share with you today. I want to talk to you about doing God's will, God's way. I think I was in, uh, early in my career in my ministry at uh, First Baptist Lareda. And I was preaching a message on Matthew chapter 4. It's the temptation experience of Jesus. I've shared with you many times that the Jews thought that uh, Jesus, the Messiah, when he would come, would fulfill David. They knew he'd come like David. They thought he'd be a great military leader and defeat the Romans. And they were partly right. He would come and take the place of David on a spiritual basis. So the people were looking for a great military figure. And so in in Jesus in the wilderness, Satan comes to tempt him. And Satan's basically temptation is this. You go ahead and be the Messiah. Just do it the way the people want you to do it. In other words, don't do it God's way, just do it my way. And, and I preach this message from Matthew 4 called Doing God's Will, God's Way, because that's so important. It's so important that we understand what Jesus did was accomplish the will of God the way God wanted it done. It always matters how God wants it done. So here's the thing don't take the way God wants things done and replace it with the way you want things done and then blame God, yeah, because we do that all the time. Don't take the way God wants things done. You replace it with the way you want things done. And then you blame God. This is what Saul did. Remember last week I told you back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel? He's fixing to go to war with the Philistines. Before you go to the war with the Philistines, you had to have like a little worship service, a little sacrifice, get God's blessing. And who did that? Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was a judge. He was a priest. He was a multi-dimensional man. It was the priest's job, never the king's job, to offer sacrifices. Kings did not offer sacrifices. Saul offered a sacrifice. Samuel got there and said, what did you do? And he said, you were late. We had to go to war. He said, but it's not your job. He said, man, I, I gave a sacrifice. That's what God wanted. No, 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 no. God wanted it done, yeah, but a certain way. I was asked to do that. And so because of it, God's going to take your kingdom away from your dynasty. Your sons will never reign. No member of your family will ever be king. Then you go to chapter 15. We looked at that a little bit. last week. God said. Go kill all the Malachites those evil, wicked people. And when you do that, destroy the sheep, destroy the cattle. Saul Saul went and defeated them, but he kept the king alive, and he kept some of the sheep and some of the cattle. And Samuel said, what have you done again? He said, well, I did what God wanted. I killed everybody. I mean, I destroyed and I defeated them. I just kept some of this stuff. He said, no, no, no. God told you to get rid of that. You didn't do it God's way. Because of that, I'm going to take, God's going to take the kingdom from you. See, he didn't obey God. That's, what, that's why David came along. David was going to obey God. We do that a lot. We do what we want to do, and we substitute it for what God wants us to do. And then we just blame God. There's an example in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. The church at Corinth had this problem, and the problem was really simple. There were several of them, but one of them was that, that there was a group who kind of saw themselves as being super Christians. Now, we're really spiritual because they could speak in tongues, so they claim. And so it was part of the reason the church was splitting this group said, oh, man, we praise God through speaking in tongues. Look at us. And it was, they were really pointing at themselves and focusing on them. So in this letter, Paul wrote, and we call it chapters 12, 13, and 14. He didn't write in chapters, but we added them. And the 12th chapter, he just talks about spiritual gifts. And he says everybody in the church is important. I just got you saying that a while ago. You all have gifts. And the gifts are for the purpose, first of all, glorifying God and then bringing the church together. Edifying, building up the church so that lost people can be won. And then in chapter 13, he talks about the greatest gift of all, which is love. And then in 14, then he deals with speaking in tongues. He said, all right, guys, you knuckleheads, <laughs> speaking in tongues. You're not helping the church. You're causing problems in the church, and you're driving lost people away. You're not honoring God. You're honoring yourself. And he says, knock it off. And he said this. He said, I speak in tongues, but I want to tell you something. I'd rather say five words that lost people can understand than 10,000 words that no one knows what I'm talking Why? Because they were taking what they thought needed to be done, and they were replacing what God wanted to be done his way, and they just, and they blame God. They were really focusing on themselves. Instead of me just giving you a whole bunch of examples, I think it's pretty obvious that you're being adults. You can probably figure out ways that you substitute what you want, the way you want to do things. You substitute that for the way God wants to do things. And we all figure, I figure that out a lot of times in my life. I've done that. So one of the things I do in my life is I pray, and I pray this every day. I pray this morning. And I say, God, I want to honor you, and I want to do your will, but I want to do it your way. God, help me do your will, but help me do it your way. And, God, to do what your way, I need wisdom. Oh, man, I need wisdom. And then, God, I need the faith that goes with that wisdom. And I want my faith. Please, God, let the faith be bold and let it be humble. Oh, man, it needs to be humble. If not, I get really cocky, and I start patting myself on the back. God, your will done your way. You see, there's a right way to do God's will, and there's a wrong way. I want to get it right, won't you? And then look at, remember the story two weeks ago of David and Goliath? David went out, and it was God's will to do what? Defeat Goliath. He knew that. He's going to honor God. And so Saul said, hey, David, why don't you take my armor? put it on, tried it on. You know, it was just, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. He couldn't, couldn't move. And he said, "There's a spear and there's a javelin and there's a sword there. He said, no, 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 no. And he said, I'm not going to fight with a spear, a javelin, and a sword. So he just took his sling and five stones and he went out and faced Goliath. Why? Because that was the way God wanted it done. He didn't want anybody thinking that David killed Goliath because he had a spear or a, 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 a sword or a javelin and that's our armor. No, no, no. You, got, you just got God, and you got a slingshot and a rock, five rocks. That's all you got. But how are you going to be Goliath? Because that's the way God wanted it done. And throughout all his sin, David committed plenty of sins. We're going to get to some of that in a few weeks. But when it came to honoring God, he did it God's way. God's way is like a path or a journey we're to take. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's confusing, and we don't know what to do, but understand this. There is always a path to get you where God wants you to be. Always. I talk about it a lot of times about finding that path. And, and, and we need to find that way. It involves faith, absolutely. And it involves obedience, you bet. But we, we, we've got to find that. I, I think about it in my own life. And, and, and you know, there's some, some things from just right now. and nothing big. It's just some financial decisions I have to make. And I know where God wants me to be. I don't know how to get there yet. And so my prayer, I'm good with God's will. God, this is your will. I got it. We're good. I don't need any help with that. I don't know how to get there. I have several options. God, show me the way. And that's what I I want to find the way. As a pastor, you know, I understand a lot of times what God's will is. I need to know the way to get there. You know, we got a phase two coming up. Build that phase two building soon. I know that's where God wants us to be. I got to find a way to get there. No way that involves $6 million. I got, we got to find a way. Anybody wants to write that check, that could be the way real quick. If you tell me the way is you're going to write a check and you got it covered. I don't want you write that check, it's going to bounce. Don't do that. It costs us 30 bucks, but it's in the hole. We have about like 10 of those a week, the way it is. Listen, he gives us these unbelievable resources. One of the things we have as a father of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. To show us that way. Remember, if you, of you maybe remember we're here back in, in July on that deep fire on July 31st. And we looked for several hours at John 14, 15, and 16. And in there, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's one way. And the other thing is just, we have the New Testament to read. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can read the New Testament. You realize that people that are lost can read Especially in the, new, maybe the whole Bible, but they can read the New Testament and they can find God's will for their life in God's way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Anybody can read that and become a follower of Jesus. I want to know, God, what's your way? Well, why don't you read the New Testament? You read the Old Testament too, but why don't you read the New Testament? You know, there's a bunch of letters, Paul and Peter and John and James and some guy wrote Hebrews and Jude wrote. Because people had tr- trouble finding the way to get God's will done and they're dealing with the way insightful. Jesus talked all the time. You read the Gospels, there's a whole bunch of stuff Jesus said. Matthew 4, 5, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he's always telling us there how to do the way. There's prayer. What a powerful thing, that prayer. And not just a follower of Christ, anybody can pray. Now I know it's popping. I've heard people say, God doesn't hear the prayers of the lost. Okay, I, I understand. I don't have any idea where you get that from, because it's not in the New Testament. The old. There are places that God talks about hearing and not hearing and people will take them and they'll take this verse from over here in, in the psalm and this verse from Jeremiah and they'll put it together and they'll say God doesn't hear the prayers of the lost. Well, I mean, if you're going to do that you can make it say anything. All I know is this, that thief on the cross was lost as lost can be. And he prayed to Jesus, not formally. He just said, Jesus, remember me. Sometimes that's all prayer is, just talk. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. In Acts chapter 9, there's Cornelius a Gentile who's a follower of God but not a Christian, praying, 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 and God says, I'm going to answer your prayers. I'm not saying God will always answer the prayers the way you want it answered. I'm saying no matter who you are, you can pray. You can pray. Prayer is just communicating with God. And then we have another resource. It's the wisdom of the church. I know we're in an age where people are against the church. Well, that's their problem, man. I mean, churches make mistakes. You need the church. The wisdom of the collective, not a denomination or a group in a building, but the church. I mean, think about what happens. That's one of the reasons, you know, I was so focused on getting us back to worship back in May. And, you know, I set a deadline. We're coming back June 1st, no matter what. Fortunately, the governor said, hey, y'all can work. And governor's been great. She's left us alone. I got no qualms with her about any of that stuff. She's left the churches alone. We're worshiping. That's all that matters. It's because we need to be together. We need to hear the singing. We need to hear the preaching. The wisdom of God's people honoring God. You need to be in a small group, a connect group. Man, I I connect group, you know, for several years here. And and, uh, it's one of those connect groups. There's just so much to learn. There's just so much sharing. We're always talking about the way God wants things done. Your connect group, your small group, a Sunday school class, you're going to talk about God's way of doing things with other Christians who are in the same struggle you're in. Man, serving? Just serve. People say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Are you serving anywhere? No, we'll start there. Where? I don't care. Just walk out of here and start serving. Just do something. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's not my problem if it gets messed up. It's the staff's problem, not mine. They'll help you get it organized. They'll help you find a place. And you said, well, I may mess something up. Man, don't worry about that. We got people in charge of messing stuff up. You'll fit right in. Listen, it's okay. Man, do something. It's like, it's like a football coach I once had. My offensive line coach, he said, hit somebody. we are be in film and you would be standing there and say, what are you doing? I don't know. Go oh, hit somebody. Hit, it's a different color jersey, but hit somebody. Serve somewhere. Man, just don't make it complicated. Just start down that path. Find the right one. Search for the right one. And when you find it, take it. Because David was a man after God's own heart. And he knew to honor God, he had to do it God's way. And killing Saul wasn't the way. But he waited on God till he provided it. David took it. When the time came. So, in your journey to honor God, are you doing it your way? Or are you doing it His way? His way is to commit yourself completely, like David, to His honor. His way is, like David, to be a man of faith, trusting God, knowing when it's time and when it's not time. It wasn't time to kill Saul. No. He trusted God Have you committed yourself to completely trusting God? He was obedient. Are you obedient to what God tells you to do? Commit yourself to obedience. Commit yourself to finding that journey, that path. And whatever it takes, I'm going to get there, God. I'm going to take that path. I'm going to give the resources you gave me. I'm going to pray for your will. I'm going to pray for wisdom. I'm going to pray for that, God. Make that commitment. Our invitation time's Then, Right now, you can do that. There'll be people here. You want to pray with some, like women. Ladies, there'll be a a couple of gals up here. You can pray with them. Listen, do that. If you need to give your life to Christ, well, come give your life to Jesus. Say, I don't know how. We'll help you. You want to join our church? Join our church. Listen, listen, I don't know what you need to do, but here's, here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to leave this place today making sure you're doing things God's way. Father, we want to always honor you. We want to praise you. We want to lift you up. We want to do things your way. And God, too often we want to do it our way. And we need to move our way aside. Seek that path that is there for us. So it's my prayer. That your Holy Spirit would guide all of us, even those who are not believers, to your path. If it's to follow Christ as Savior, that's the most important thing. If it's to be committed to faith, committed, Father, to obedience, committed to your way, lead us there and guide us, I pray. In the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you stand? You come.